We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. Very special New Year's episode brought to you by Untuck It. Sam, how are you doing? Okay. We could only bring ourselves to record after a win. That's why we had to take last week off, just so you guys know. (laughs) We were waiting for the losing streak to end, and it ended, so now we're back for the new year. Well, when we postpone podcasts, it usually leads to a win. It took a little longer <laughs> than it normally did this time, uh, but it, we did finally uh, get a win. 2019 is ending. The entire decade of the 2010s is ending. The 2020s is about to begin, and we have a lot to talk about. On this episode, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions by Sam and I uh, for the Phoenix Suns, whether it be for the team as a whole, for players, for James Jones, for Robert Sarver. Um, I'm not sure what yours are, Sam. I know you don't really know what mine are either, so we'll see as we talk through them. And throughout the episode, you're going to hear some special guests who gave us some recordings talking about their favorite moments of 2019 as well. So we got lots of interesting things happening on this episode. And to start out, I think you and I, Sam, should talk about our favorite moment from 2019. Sam, what was your favorite moment from the last year? My favorite moment from this year, because this year has been tough at times, you know, 19 win season uh, this year has been up and down this season so far, obviously. 
Um, but I think it's going to be the signing of Ricky Rubio. And I know that's not like a moment that came in season. Um, but within the scope of the offseason, that just felt like such a huge moment for the Suns. And I can't lie, you know, we're open about this. We've been recording this podcast for a while. So if you go back and listen to our reactions to that free agent signing, you know that Ricky Rubio wasn't our number one choice. There were other guys that Suns fans wanted going into the offseason. A lot of talk about D'Angelo Russell, a lot of talk about Malcolm Brogdon. That was my guy personally. Um, but Rubio was was a very good uh, choice for the Suns going forward, and especially compared to a guy that I was terrified of, like Terry Rozier, um, and has just, Rubio has come in and he stabilized the Suns' offense. Um, he was a huge reason behind their 7-4 and four start, and I'm really excited to see him uh, get to finally play next to DeAndre Ayton consistently, because he's already near the top of the NBA in assists per game, um, and I can only imagine what he's about to do with Ayton slotting in at that center position. So, Rubio, biggest moment for me. Yeah, that that's a good one, and he was. Our, I think he was both of our number three on our list of top yeah. five free agents. So you know, it's somebody that we targeted and we were hoping to get, and uh, that's a good one. I think mine is also off season related, and it's stealing Monty Williams from the Lakers. I think that that was a pivotal moment for the Phoenix Suns. Now, the book on Monty Williams is yet to be written. I think that this is probably a time in a lot of Phoenix Suns fandom here uh, where maybe they're questioning some of the things that Monty Williams is doing. And uh, I think he's done overall a pretty good job. There's some questionable decisions here and there, and I think it's difficult for us as fans to always understand why that they're why they're made. But the idea of the Phoenix Suns winning over a coach who the Lakers also coveted is a fascinating thing. I, I, I would love for it to be written why Monty Williams chose the Phoenix Suns over the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and no Anthony Davis yet, but Anthony Davis was coming. I think everyone kind of knew uh, that that was going to happen uh, at some point. Uh, so a fascinating thing that to happen. And I think something that's really important for the Phoenix Suns for a lot of reasons, he brings stability, he coached in the playoffs. He's a longtime uh, coach in the NBA. He has experience with winning franchises, and Robert Sarver gave him a long contract. I talked about it in the last yep. few weeks, uh, how important it was that somebody has really been given the reins to the Phoenix Suns uh, going forward. So I think that was my favorite moment uh, going forward. I think that the Clippers win at the beginning of this season was pretty cool too. You know, it was uh, important to see the team play like winners and be a team that is probably the best or second best team in the NBA so far this year. And, uh, you know, that was a fun one as well. Uh, those are our favorite moments. And any, anything else to add on that, Sam? Well, you've got me thinking about the Lakers now a little bit because I'm in complete agreement with what you said about Monty, except <laughs> I'm, I'm just having flashbacks to May with the Lakers organization in complete chaos, the protests happening outside uh, of Staples Center, Austin Sear, that that fan that showed up there with a bag of peanuts to watch the destruction that you later interviewed on this very podcast. Um, but then just, you know, flip it six months later, it is a little bit unfortunate that despite all of that, the Lakers always do find a way, don't they? They're back at the top of the Western Conference. There, even then, there was no question that a few months into the season, the Lakers were going to have a much better record than the Phoenix Suns. That's why I find the decision so fascinating by Monty Williams I wonder if it was just the idea of working for that sort of up and down front office of people constantly suing each other for the, the rights to own the team with the Lakers, or maybe it, he was scared of the presence of LeBron James. You know, you never coach LeBron James. You kind of work for him. 
and or maybe it wasn't any of that. Maybe he just really believes in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. You know, it could be something. Or James Jones. You know, James Jones is a pretty uh, convincing guy. He's charming. He probably can sell you on something. So uh, maybe a few years from now, I've talked about it before, we'll, we'll get some sort of article written about uh, Monty Williams and, and why he made that decision because it's a little... It's a little confounding, I would say, uh, but I'm happy for it. So I think it was a huge moment for the Suns. Uh, let's get into our resolutions. You ready? All right, I'll start first. My first resolution for the Phoenix Suns in 2020, give Mikhail Bridges more minutes. <laughs> Mikhail Bridges, and specifically, I will say, in crunch time, I think Mikhail Bridges has earned a spot in the rotation to close games on this team. Now that could mean playing him with Ubre a little bit more. I did look at some stats with Kelly Ubre and Mikhail Bridges on the floor together. I didn't think that there was enough of it to make any sort of decision about it. It does have it has it's a net positive by like 1.3 or something. Not a huge net positive. Uh, but it was something that I did like to see and I think it's hard to judge those minutes particularly at this point because they haven't played a lot together and also Mikhail Bridges has played a lot better recently the thing is about Mikhail Bridges is if you look at the box score stats for like his last five or last 10 games which I did do they don't really jump out at you you know he's averaging like six points a game in 24 minutes or so for the last uh 10 games not this massive uh stat sort of explosion by Mikhail Bridges but the advanced stats are off the charts by him uh, he's he just affects winning in so many ways. He makes up from this is I think where he's really important. He makes up for mistakes by David Booker on defense, and he makes up for mistakes by Kelly Oubre on defense. Two guys that mm-hmm. are prone to ball watching off the ball. Devin Booker famous for it. Kelly Oubre getting worse and worse and worse week by week. Uh, ball watching, letting guys cut behind him, looking for steals, looking for blocks. Basically, is what he's doing. And uh, Mikhail Bridges sees that he rotates faster than anyone. And when you rotate with the longest arms in the league, it makes a big difference. It can be hard to play him sometimes because his offense is a little bit up and down. So I think that's why he was not getting minutes at the beginning of the season. I don't really fault Monty Williams for that. I think that he had to build his confidence up a little bit. And he did. He found his confidence by cutting off the ball. He found his confidence by catching and driving and his percentages in that thing that we're not allowed to talk about for a few more days have been relatively good as well. I'm glad so, you remember. <laughs> it's only a few more days, and then we can talk about Maybe we'll dedicate an entire episode to it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> what do you think? Mikhail Bridges, more minutes. Dude, you know I love that guy. Come on. <laughs> Mikhail's got the third best uh, net rating on the team. Um, the difference between you know when he's on the court versus off the court. Um, he's only behind Ricky Rubio and Elia Kobo, and and I know like if Elia Kobo is second, maybe that makes you question the stat a little bit. But I think from an impact standpoint, Mikhail has been very good. We've talked about his defense at length before, um, it, and it's encouraging to see signs of growth from him on offense. I think he is being a little bit more aggressive in the past month. It's not a lot, otherwise it would reflect in the box score, kind of like as you were alluding to. Um, but even in a game like last night against Sacramento, you know he got I think. Uh, 10 points maybe maybe nine or 10 quick points um, through two or three quarters just by filling the lane effectively in transition um, and and finding those cutting lanes which he's been very good at all season and hitting shots on a spot up opportunities but defensively um, he's he's just a brilliant defender Uh, there is that game 
also this past week against Denver, where it was Mikhail Bridges and Javon Carter. Because you're right, when you pair Mikhail with Devin Booker um, and some of these other questionable defenders, sometimes things can fall apart. We saw this lineup against Denver where maybe the offense was a little bit challenged, but Javon Carter and Mikhail Bridges together, maybe arguably your two best defenders on the entire roster, um, really had a huge impact in what the Suns were able to do. They were able to play the passing lanes, get out in transition, um, and create easy scoring opportunities to get themselves back in that game. Yep, I agree with that. And there was even some interesting minutes with Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, and Javon Carter on the floor with Mikhail Bridges where... Uh, it's just an interesting look because Ricky Rubio, Javon Carter, Mikael Bridges, all plus defenders at their positions. And, you know, two of those guys play in the same position, but you can put Ricky Rubio easily on a shooting guard and he does relatively well. Then you can hide Devin Booker off the ball a little easier when you have those three guys on the floor. Not sustainable against every team, but it's, it's a good look. What's up, Mike and Sam? Happy holidays to all the Timeline listeners out there. John Bloom from downtown Phoenix right now getting ready for another Suns home game. But uh, I want to share my favorite moment from 2019. It actually happened on the road back on October 30th. I was filling in for the Hall of Famer Al McCoy, calling the action with Tim Kempton when the Suns put an absolute whooping on the Warriors in their brand new Chase Center. And what an amazing place that was. But my memory will absolutely be that 43-14 to can of whoop-ass that they opened in the first quarter on Steph Curry and company. A lot of people will remember that game as Steph going down when our favorite Asgardian Aaron Baines fell on him and broke his hand. That will never be the headline for me, though. The Suns were absolutely on fire to open up that game. And what a feeling that was after the Warriors have had so much success as a guy who grew up in the Bay Area, have parents who still root for that team. That felt really good. I know they let them back in at the end. They won it by 11. But that is my favorite moment of 2019 with the Phoenix Suns. I want to wish everybody out there listening to the timeline a very happy and healthy 2020. And here's to some more success and more great moments for this battle basketball team what's your first resolution my first resolution and i'm surprised i'm saying this is that it is time to unleash the rookie cam johnson and here's what i mean by that first of all cam johnson has really surprised me you know go back to draft night my reaction um, I was buying into the propaganda about Cam Johnson being only a shooter, about him being 38 years old and, and having this bum hip that would keep him out um, for the majority of his rookie season or his career or whatever. Now, so far, the stats don't jump off the page necessarily, but we know he's been, um, I think it's fair to say, Mike, like the most consistent role player on the Suns. There are very few games where Cam Johnson has struggled. Um, there are also very few games where he's broken out. He's just kind of been this steady, roughly 10 points, three rebounds, an assist, and around 40% shooting from three-point range. That's what he's been doing all season. I think it's time to give him a little bit more of a role. And I don't mean that in the sense of I want Cam Johnson to now suddenly take over ball handling duties and like create his own offense. But But here's kind of how I mean that. I want to talk about the distinction between coming off screens and just being a spot-up shooter because I think it's important to where you can go forward with Cam Johnson's career. Off-screen plays are doing something, they're a little bit more involved. It's doing something like running a pin down or a flare screen or a back screen for a guy, having them come off it and then shoot. Spot-up opportunities, on the other hand, are just the natural consequence of a defense breaking down. A guy happens to get a wide-open shot, he catches, and he fires. What we're seeing right now from Cam Johnson is a ton of spot-up shooting. The natural consequence of that defense falling apart, 
Um, and, and then Cam is the guy, and he happens to be the guy who's the best at converting those opportunities. In fact, he's converting in the 88th percentile as a spot-up shooter in the NBA. That is tremendous, tremendous efficiency. What we're not seeing from Cam so far, and what I want to see in the future, uh, is I want to see the Suns playmakers actually looking for him more, getting him more involved, running those off-screen plays for him. And I'd like to draw like a quick comparison to a guy like J.J. Redick. Because just to demonstrate what I mean here, two guys, you can have two phenomenal three-point shooters who, when you actually watch them on offense, they're doing very different things. NBA.com tracks the amount of plays that these guys are doing uh, spot-up possessions versus off-screen possessions. A guy like Cam Johnson, close to 80% of his possessions right now um, are, or sorry, 80% of all of the possessions between spot-ups and off-screens combined are spot-ups. So just to kind of explain what I mean there, like he's had almost 100 possessions of just spotting up and shooting Mm. versus only 20 where the Suns have actually ran him off an off-screen play, given him the ball. You look at a guy who is a legendary shooter like J.J. Redick and how he exists in the space of the New Orleans offense. J.J. Redick has only 62 spot-up opportunities this season. He has over 110 off-screen plays so far this season. He's near the top of the leaderboard. He's incredibly efficient in both of those play types, but the difference is there's an added impact offensively. There's an added gravity to it when you're willing to exert that extra effort into your offense and really make a guy a priority the way that New Orleans does with uh, J.J. Redick and the way the Suns are currently not doing with Cam Johnson. So when I say it's time to unleash Cam Johnson, I don't mean do anything crazy. I don't mean give him, you know, the ball 40 possessions a night. Um, I just mean they need to start looking for him a little bit more, treating him like he really has a higher ceiling than just this kind of average role player and maybe a guy who could grow into the next you know, J.J. Redick or Clay Thompson or whatever, but a guy who could really be a fantastic, fantastic weapon for your offense on any given night. I like that. I like that a lot. I think Cam has grown a lot. I think what's really interesting about Cameron Johnson so far uh, this season is that he doesn't seem to be like an overly negative defender. He's in the right place a lot of the time. That means that he's earned a lot of minutes, and I think that's the right way to look at it. If he If he's not... Uh, making obvious mistakes defensively, then you can keep him in the game. Do you think that he has the conditioning that it takes to do that? Because I think one of the things that's underrated for J.J. Redick, a lot of people talk about, I think J.J. Redick is one of those guys that's used as an example more than other players because what he does is so unique. And I think it might be a little underappreciated how unique it is at this point in his career because not only is he doing what you said, uh, like off screen, like you said, but it takes so much effort and it takes so much conditioning to be able to do that night after night after night after night. There's really only two guys that are constantly doing that. And I think that's uh, Clay Thompson, who's obviously injured, but also JJ Redick. Those are really the only two guys. Those, that's the mold, right? That's the mold that you should be mm-hmm. looking at for Cameron Johnson. But do you think that he, he's capable of that uh, this early in his career? Maybe not initially. And I think that's a fair criticism, maybe not initially. And right now he's playing closer to 20 minutes per game. I think he can handle it in a 20 minute per game role. And that's also sort of why I'm not saying like, we know the reality of this wing rotation right now. We know Kelly Oubre is going to get his minutes. We just raved about Mikhail Bridges about how we want to get him minutes. So we know Cam's not going to play 35 minutes a game. So no one should expect him to kind of succeed in that role. Um, playing that many minutes, but I do think he can handle it in shorter spurts for 15 to 20 minutes. Just get him a little more active in the minutes he's actually on the floor um, and try to look for him a little bit more because like 
if we just look at this team right now, I think we both expected going into the season that the Suns were going to improve their shooting. They have. They're no longer the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA. But when it comes to hitting open shots, they're not that far from the seller. You know, I think they're like 24th, 25th in the entire NBA in the percentage at which they convert wide open three-point shots. And that's a major problem. But the one guy who's been very consistent at hitting those is Cam Johnson. So the natural consequence there is that you got to find ways to open him because he's your hottest shooter. That's right. And that means Aaron Baines can't miss him on the obvious kick-out pass yeah. <laughs> to, to, the, to the corner. What's up, guys? This is Andrew Lezis. And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Styles. No, I'm sorry. Okay, that's a bad joke, but that man is handsome. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Lezis. And I just want to say, my favorite Suns memory of the year had to have been probably the Suns' victory over the Warriors in March. When they had KD, Draymond, Clay, Steph... And, and we kind of saw all the pieces come together. It was Booker going off. It was Aiden making plays. Uber was making plays. Honestly, it just felt like the era of being terrible was over for the Suns. And I think a lot of fans were like, all right, we can breathe a little bit. And it was extra sweet probably because of how many times the Warriors had been Suns in a row. And then to finally get that last like punch in before that, you know, that dynasty broke up is really cool. And... I think that win meant a lot to a lot of people. It, it meant a lot to me. So that was my favorite moment of the year. You know, there's a lot of moments to choose from. I love the Suns community, man. But yeah, no, shout out to the Timeline Podcast, though. These guys are the best. You know, Sam is my guy. I love him death. <laughs> but yeah, appreciate y'all having me on here, bro. All right. My next resolution is specifically for DeAndre Ayton. Now, DeAndre Ayton, we haven't seen a lot from him. <laughs> this season unfortunately <laughs> he's only played two games uh this is not related to that i mean obviously maybe an obvious resolution is don't take any more diuretics but i i have a feeling he's not going to do that uh but my deandre ayton resolution is for him to roll and roll hard and this is a very specific resolution for deandre ayton partially based on his return game that we got to see against the the los angeles clippers i think that something about DeAndre Ayton and the way he screens, he's not rolling as much as he can be. And I think this was specific to that game because I think he's not used to playing with Ricky Rubio. Uh, Ricky Rubio was looking for him a few times. He was screening and he was trying to create some space by standing in the mid-range area, which gives somebody like Devin Booker space to get to the basket. But there's such a gravity to him that when he rolls there still is space for the ball handler on the pick and roll. And here's some stats. Last year, DeAndre Ayton was the roll man in a pick and roll uh, about 20% of the time. So about 20, 21% of his offense was rolling in a pick and roll. That actually was not even in the top 40 players in the NBA uh, as far as just frequency of rolling in the pick and roll. He, he's in like, he was like 44, 45 even Al Horford, somebody who shoots threes and kind of does everything, rolled 31% of the time last year. Uh, Gobert, 25% of the time. There's somebody that played with Ricky Rubio. That 21% last year was not enough for somebody like DeAndre Ayton that's so efficient on the roll, that has the hands that he does, and that attracts the gravity that he does. Because I think this is an important thing. You can't roll expecting to receive the ball every time there's such an element of creating space and creating offense for other people that when you roll 
You can't always expect to get the ball. You might attract three defenders on the roll and might open up somebody like Devin Booker or Cameron Johnson like we just talked about with our last resolution. Playing with Ricky Rubio is going to make a difference for him. If he rolls and rolls hard when he sets a screen, it'll increase his efficiency, it'll raise his free throw percentage, and it can be used to get other guys open. So my resolution specifically for DeAndre Ayton is get used to rolling. Now that we have a point guard, get used to rolling and rolling hard. Yeah, I mean, to to master the art of the pick and roll is to master a diversion tactic, right? That's exactly what you're talking about. You're trying. uh, If you're uh, uh, an unselfish player, you want to attract that attention because you know that it's going to create open opportunities. If you're a smart player, you know that your teammates will uh, capitalize on those opportunities and you have a better chance to win the game. So that's the way we need DeAndre Ayton thinking. And I think even you could extend it out a little bit further and kind of all of this comes down to we need DeAndre Ayton to think like a modern center. Um, And so, you know, if he wants to be more like, say, an Anthony Davis or if he wants to be more like a Joel Embiid, which are kind of like kind of different types of dominant centers, doesn't really matter. But what those two guys have in common, they're slowly cutting out the mid-range, they're taking threes, they're dominating in the post and rolling to the basket. Focus on, and I know it's corny to say because, you know, everyone has been kind of emphasizing the importance of these types of shots, but focus on getting as close to the rim as you can, like you said, Mike, Mm -hmm. or bringing it out to the three-point line. But the one thing we can't see from him going forward, and it's okay if he does it sometimes, but just not to the extent that we've seen, is those shitty 17-foot face-up jumpers where, you know, he pump fakes a few times, but the defender knows it's going up. Because he's not going to drive to the basket. Yeah, and another thing is screening and then just expecting everyone else to do the work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that that was a big thing that he did in the Clippers game. And I think part of that was just, you know, getting used to coming back and and sort of not being in the rhythm and the flow of the game and not understanding the flow of the offense. The offense slowed down with him on the court. And it's still effective when he's on the court, even if it slows down. But over time, that's not going to be the beneficial way to play with DeAndre Ayton. It has to flow. It has to move. And that means that you're moving even with no anticipation of getting the ball. And he will get the ball. That's the other thing is with Ricky Rubio in the game and even Devin Booker's passing improvements this year, uh, DeAndre Ayton's going to get the ball in that role a lot of times. And, uh, you know, a, a big part of that is not being afraid of contact. When you roll, guys are hitting you. They're, and they're hitting you sometimes kind of hard. And those are big guys underneath the basket. So it could be it could stem from his fear of contact and that we've talked about in the past. But we need him uh, to roll. That 21% is not enough. So we're going to monitor that this season. And we'll see if it goes up this season. And I have a feeling it will. It will because uh, Ricky Rubio's on the team. And that makes a huge difference. Hey, guys. This is Gerald Bourget from over at Fansided.com. And uh, while it was hard to choose between, you know, DeAndre Ayton's suspension, watching Luka Doncic damn near average a triple-double in his second season, or the Suns finishing with 19 wins last year, uh, my favorite moment from 2019 was a recent one uh, when Phoenix beat the undefeated 76ers to improve to 5-2. and two. So far, it's been the peak of a much-improved 2019-20 campaign, and even though Joel Embiid was out, it hasn't been since Goran Dragic outplayed Anthony Davis that we've heard someone be serenaded with MVP chants at Talking Stick Resort Arena and actually deserve them. Uh, The guy in question, of course, was Devin Booker doing what he always does against the Sixers. He dropped 40 that night to become the eighth youngest player to reach 6,000 career points. Um, And then meanwhile, Ricky Rubio finished with a near triple-double as well. 
Injuries would pile up soon after that, but after years of watching this team play uncompetitive basketball, that win over Philly really did feel like the promise of change in the near future. My next resolution, put yourself in position to succeed at the point guard position post Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio, and I think, first of all, to back it up a little bit, I think the general trend you're going to see with my resolutions is that 2020 is an important year, but it's not an important year by itself. It's an important year because we're trying to set up uh, a path beyond mediocrity. You know, it's nice that the Suns are now a mediocre team. We can hang a banner that says the Suns started out the 2019-20 season 7-4 and four, and now they're mediocre. But obviously that's not enough. We fans cannot get complacent to that nice feeling of maybe being a 500 team, maybe getting the 7th or 8th seed. We want to build into a contender. And so 2020 needs to really put you on the path um, to getting there. And so how does that relate to finding a point guard post Ricky Rubio? I think that's pretty obvious. Ricky Rubio is doing very well so far. He's having a better season even than I expected. I did not expect him to come from Utah, uh, where he only averaged like six assists per game and jump back up to nine uh, on the Suns. Credit to you, Mike, because I think you did expect that. But when his contract ends in a few years, he's going to be 31. If the Suns re-sign him, he'll go into that season of his, the first season of his second contract as a 32-year-old player. We need a sustainable long-term solution. And right now that's a problem because we don't even have a, a capable backup point guard, let alone a sustainable long-term solution that could potentially grow into the role uh, next to Devin Booker. So what you have to do, I mean, you have to basically just kind of analyze all of your options and think about... The future of a guy like Elia Kobo, you know, Elia Kobo has shown flashes here. Does he have any potential as a starting point guard in the future? Probably not, but you can try to suss out if he does by giving him those opportunities in the next year and starting to make tough decisions. Same goes with Ty Jerome. It's, it would be unreasonable to expect Ty Jerome to produce so far, but you at least need to throw him on the court a little bit, try and work him into some spot situations and start to figure out what you have in him. Um, the first round pick that the Suns are going to have this year is going to be important too. This is a very, supposedly from what the scouts are saying, it's a very weak draft class, but it's also a very point guard heavy draft class. And I do think there's some intriguing options that the Suns could potentially take somewhere in the top 15 that could help them out a point guard if you're also trying to find a future point guard that way. Um, or you could explore a trade. There's tons of different things you could do, um, but you need to be thinking about this right now because oftentimes when point guards turn 30 years old, as Ricky Rubio is about to do, the drop-off can hit you hard, um, and the Suns need to keep building on this momentum and pushing forward. It, so I want to talk about Ricky Rubio quickly, and then I have a question for you on that note. Uh, Ricky Rubio started out this season shooting badly and now the anticipation for Ricky Rubio is that he's going to shoot badly uh so so it's not a huge deal for him to 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 be sort of bad shooting but it was bad even for Ricky Rubio to start the season quietly uh in the last few games Ricky Rubio is now shooting 41% field goal percentage now he's only had a few seasons of his career over 40% field goal percentage at all. This is one of the few seasons that he is. It's close to the 41.3% is what he's shooting. His highest he's ever had, which was 17-18 in Utah, was 41.8% uh, from the field. And he is also currently shooting 31% from the three-point line, which is pretty close to his career average. So quietly over the course of the 
last 10 or 15 games or so, he brought his shooting percentages back up to a more relatively normal uh, shooting percentage. His effective field goal percentage for the season is actually the second highest of his career so far. So while he is still shooting bad, he is not shooting bad for Ricky Rubio, which is very bad. <laughs> so just wanted to mm-hmm. give that a little shout out. Uh, something that we I would have talked about on our last episode had we recorded last week, uh, but we didn't get a chance. So I wanted to bring that up just, just for some context this, this week. Now, a question that I have for you, Sam. It's hypothetical, so uh, it doesn't matter too, too much. But if, if the Suns could trade for D'Angelo Russell... It's there's a good chance that the Golden State Warriors would not want Ricky Rubio. <laughs> it's I, it's I safe so, to yeah. it's safe to say that. Would you trade for D'Angelo Russell with Ricky Rubio on the roster? Now that could mean a few things. It could mean trying to start a three guard lineup, which no, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. But the other option is <laughs> is moving Ricky Rubio to the bench, and that means. Excellent point guard play throughout the entire roster, but that's a lot of money uh, that's sort of given to three guards. Now, that could be good because you have a potential franchise center on a rookie deal, and that means that you could spend a little more on on guards, uh, but it could be considered bad. So all, obviously hypothetical, but this is something that there's a chance that D'Angelo Russell becomes available. I don't think it will be this year. I think that the, the likely scenario is that it's going to be the summer. What do you think about that idea? I think you could at least explore facilitating it with a three-way trade. Um, I'd be very wary of any sort of repeat of the three-point guard lineup, <laughs> whether one of them is coming off the bench or not. Um, because if you remember, you know the Suns, when they had Bledsoe, Dragic, and IT, they only played that minute. They only played the three of them together, uh, maybe a few minutes per game at most. And people kind of blew it out of proportion, but what still killed it in the end is so many combinations where it was two of them at the same time, um, and someone was playing shooting guard who didn't want to. And I think it would be a, diff- a, a similar situation with with these three. So I don't I don't know, I don't know if you could make it work, man. That's that's tough. Yeah, it is tough. I, I do want to give a little shout out to D'Angelo Russell just real quick. He's playing really really well uh, for the Golden State Warriors so far. And I, I do want to just point out that his off-ball play has gotten much, much better. The the Warriors, for as difficult of a season that they have had so far, actually still have a lot of point guards on their roster uh, that they play. And that means that D'Angelo Russell oftentimes is not actually playing the point guard role. He's 6'5". He's playing off the ball a lot. And I think that uh, the way that he's developed, and no surprise to us, obviously I've been talking about D'Angelo Russell for a, a freaking year at this point, but the development in his game is such that he would fit perfectly even next to somebody like Ricky Rubio, but specifically someone like Devin Booker, one of his close friends. Now the defense of course would be awful, but it's just something to keep an eye on. I think the Suns have to, I I think here's the main thing, Sam, at some point, either you have all three of Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker and (laughs) D'Angelo Russell, or you have none of those three guys because their plan is to play together. I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I mean, at some, I they're going to all be free agents, you know? They're going to yeah. all be free agents at, at the same we'll time. See. We'll see. Yeah. I, I, to bring it back to the whole trade thing, like, I think, and it sucks because I can't think of a, a name that fits this situation in 2019. But what the Suns really need is a repeat of the Eric Bledsoe trade in 2013. 
kind of the thing that kick-started their rebuild under the McDonough era in the first place. Like, you need to find a guy. There are A-list prospects, there are B-list prospects, and then there's throw-ins. And what the Suns have right now, the value that their backup point guards have, Javon Carter, Elliot Kobo, Ty Jerome, these are not guys who are valued to have any sort of high ceiling. Eric Bledsoe in 2013 was kind of stuck in this situation uh, where he wasn't an A-list prospect. He was a late first-round pick, but he had obviously shown some potential behind Chris Paul, and they were willing to move him because he looked like a guy who maybe had starter potential, and the Suns were willing to jump on that. They need to find an equivalent of that in 2019, and I don't know who it is, but it's just got to be someone who's going to be okay with, with taking a backup role, maybe for a year or two, with the idea that you can groom them a little more easily than you can groom these other guys. The, the exception to the rule is if, like, I don't know, if Ellie blows up suddenly in his second year, which is totally feasible, then I guess he becomes that guy. But otherwise, you kind of need to bring it in from the outside. Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect length untucked. Nothing looks worse than a shirt that does not fit. It doesn't matter what you look like otherwise. If your clothes don't fit, it's going to look bad. Actually, here's an interesting antidote. On Seinfeld, they used to give the actor that plays George Costanza clothes that were too small to make him look dumb. <laughs> it proves that you have to wear clothes that fit to look professional. Find clothes that fit with more than 50 plus fit combinations. Untuck it shirts look great on tall, short, slim, or athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck it style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is easy to use. They even have the whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use the code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T dot com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. Hey guys, and Ill Kellen Olsen checking in here with my favorite Suns moment of the year. I know a lot of people are going to interpret this differently, fans. There are a lot of highs this year despite the way the Suns season has gone uh, last season and this season during the year. But for me, and this won't surprise a lot of people who know me, I'm going to pick the weirdest and most bizarre game of the year, which was in on March 25th in Utah when Jimmer Fredette just got completely lost in the sauce of having an NBA moment again. Fans were cheering for him as he checked in the game. He shot one for 10 and was really just desperate to kind of get it going back to the way he used to. I mean, back in BYU, I mean, he never really got it going in the NBA, right? But he missed six straight shots in the fourth quarter, all while Devin Booker had 59 points. He just completely failed to realize where he was, what was going on. It was so strange, and I absolutely adored every second of it because I'm just never going to see anything like that. And I think a lot of people listening will agree. And what was that? You know, like I, I still can't really figure out what that was. And isn't that kind of describing Suns basketball lately in a way? So that's my pick for my favorite moment uh, of the year. Uh, thanks to Mike and Sam, as always. Okay, my next resolution, it's actually related a little bit 
to the conversation that we just talked about. Uh, this is one I didn't tell you about, Sam. It is Shop the Pick. Shop the Pick. <laughs> Shop the 2020 first round pick. Now, this could mean a lot of things, but I just want to read a quote. You touched on this a little bit when you were talking about your last resolution, Sam. This is a quote from The Athletic. This is a Sam Vecini article. He said, This is not a normal top of the draft. To help put things in perspective, I also asked a few people where they thought these players would be taken within the context of the last three drafts. Across the board, evaluators said that none of Wiseman, Edwards, Ball, or Anthony would have been taken over Zion Williamson, John Morant, DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley, Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball, or Jason Tatum. And they said that the top picks are more likely in the same ballpark as, wait for it, R.J. Barrett, one of our favorite players, <laughs> on, on, in the last draft class. And that means it's an interesting thing. Trading picks is actually kind of difficult. If you trade before the lottery, the idea of it could be anything is pretty valuable. If you trade after the lottery, where your pick falls dictates the value of that pick, which could be good, right? If it falls high enough and you're planning on trading it, you can get a lot of value for it. If it falls lower than you expected or lower than you anticipated, then the value tanks at that point. That means that you can capitalize on a pick right now because capitalizing on the unknown is a common thing in the NBA. You can capitalize on a general manager going, it could be anything. We could get, potentially, we can get ball. Um, we can potentially get uh, Wiseman, who's the center, right? The Suns don't want Wiseman. What are we going to do with him? At this point, it's projected that the Suns are going to be in the lottery. There, There is a chance. You, you actually wrote about it, Sam. There is a chance that the Suns uh, can make the playoffs, or, or, or you've, we've talked about it. But it's it's a difficult thing at this point. It's a difficult prospect. After Did I write about that? Did you? No, maybe maybe I read <laughs> I somebody remember. else's. <laughs> uh, all you bright side guys are all the same. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, so my here's the thing. If you're gonna trade this pick, it's got to be for someone that makes it worthwhile. Now you <clears> talked <throat> about a trade that is similar to the Eric Bledsoe trade. Um, that's that's gonna be hard. Here's one guy, Drew Holiday, might be available. The, the Pelicans have su- have been pretty bad. Ooh. Drew Holiday would make a massive difference on this team. There's a similar problem, right? Uh, Ricky Rubio is still on the team. I don't care. You know what? <laughs> if, it's, if it's for Drew Holiday, this team needs defense and playing. Drew, it and, needs an and athlete. athleticism. Yes, exactly. Drew can guard one, two, and three. That means that you can play him with both of those guys if you if you want to. Uh, it, it would be interesting. Uh, that would be someone that is worth trading the pick for. Uh, this should be essentially this should be star shopping. You have to look for ceiling raisers. We talked yeah, about raising right. the floor. The floor has been raised. Now you raise the ceiling. You have to raise the ceiling. Trading the pick is is a scary thought. But if this draft if this draft class is not there's obviously everyone's wrong every year about the draft. For the record, there's sure. always going to be someone sure. that will stand out. But the chances that the Suns are going to pick the player that stands out are. Uh, not not any lower than any other team, uh, other than the ones that have like an inherent scouting advantage, like the Spurs I do, have had in the I, past. I do but. point out that every time there's a disastrously bad draft class, there is going to be that guy, you know, who's going to be the next Giannis that gets picked like 17th overall out of this draft. Right. It's going to be someone. It, there absolutely <laughs> will be. And, but that that's the thing is is the value is high now for a pick, and and part of that is <laughs> the Suns are currently in the running for the number one overall pick. Uh, 
and, and, and if this class is is RJ Barrett level, they're not looking for that. I know that the Suns are not looking for someone like RJ Barrett that's going to take three years to be a good NBA player and and maybe never will be. They want people that can contribute and contribute right now to winning because their fear is pissing off Devin Booker and him asking <laughs> to be moved to another team. Now is the time that they should be shopping that pick. It's difficult. We've talked about Carl Anthony Towns in the past. The the Wolves are worse than they've ever been before. Uh, right now, um, they've lost something, <laughs> some insane amount of games in a row. Maybe they won one recently and I missed it, but it was up to like 11 games in a row. That's the guy, right? If you can get Carl Anthony Towns, you should target Carl sure, Anthony Towns. But, but they're not going to. Tra- I don't believe they're going to trade him this year unless he and, absolutely. And furthermore, if if it's such a bad class, it defla- it deflates the pick. Yeah, it you deflates need- the value of that pick. You can't you can't get Carl Anthony Towns for the tenth overall pick in a terrible draft. Yeah, well, you got a number one overall pick on the roster right now, so that helps right, okay. a little bit. So too. you would trade if you went after Cat. Yeah, you would have to trade Aiden but and probably then, two picks. You know, it probably have to and, be this and pick probably, and then two years from now. Let's be honest, dude. Carl Anthony Towns right now is a top ten player in the NBA. I think. I think yeah. his his stock has risen. There was this uh, a weird period of time last year where everyone was all on the Joel Embiid train, and Cat looked like a bum. At least you know, based on the narratives, <laughs> not in reality. But right now, what's Cat's value? They're going to want Aiden. They're going to want that first round pick. They're going to want another first round pick. And probably Ubre. McKay- probably Ubre or Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that they would, and I still would do it. <laughs> I just yeah, think no, it's so really would I. difficult. So would I. It's it's getting a star to pair with Devin Booker, a real star, and it could be Aiton. I'm not discounting that possibility happening in the future, but that's going to be the most important thing for this team actually making uh, noise in the playoffs in the future. So that there's the thing. Shop the pick. Maybe you get somebody good. Maybe you don't. But don't don't cherish it. Make it available to if something becomes uh, available on the tr- on the trade market. Hey guys, it's Tizdu from Reddit. Wanted to say a big part of my son's memories this year was actually your guys' podcast. Uh, wanted to say you guys both have a professionalism and knowledge of the game, and it really shines through. Um, so thank you very much for working so hard on your podcast. I always really enjoy it. As far as son's memories for me go, I'm really just excited about um, the direction the team is going in in general. We dropped a lot of dead weight guys in the offseason, some guys that weren't developing, some low-character guys, and it seems like we have a at least a different identity now. It's a positive, character-filled, uh, high-IQ mindset team now, and I'm excited about it. Season's looking a little dismal at the moment, but I see really good things for the second half of the season. I think we're going to turn some heads and have a lot of fun. So Happy New Year, guys, and uh, take care. So what's your next one, Sam? My next resolution is, it's kind of related to what you were talking about a little while ago, but figure out exactly what you have in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. The most uh, disappointing thing I think this season has been, again, we're trying to build not just in 2020, but beyond. Um, And so you really need to figure out exactly what your number one and your number two star are capable of, sort out the synergy that they have between each other. Um, and it's a massive problem that we've only seen them together for one game this season, so we really don't know what we have. Uh, we, we just need 
in 2020, a bigger sample size of those minutes with those two guys together on the floor uh, so we can see how that offense with other capable pieces, other capable NBA players, which they didn't have last year, uh, what that looks like. Um, and with DeAndre Ayton specifically, like we already talked about how he wants to roll um, or, or how he needs to roll. Sorry, but I want to see how much can his shot and how much can his playmaking really be developed this year. Because we know he's a great pick and roll finisher. We know he's a great post up player. Um, but to be a second option on a contender, that stuff is just not enough. I want to be able to dump it into DeAndre Ayton at the elbow and actually have him drive and force opposing defenses into foul trouble so that then from that point on, everyone on the team can attack. You know, I want DeAndre Ayton to step out to the three uh, and take that shot a couple of times a game. I want him to reach the same levels of playmaking from the elbow position uh, that we've seen from bigs like Aaron Baines and Frank Kaminsky inside this Monty Williams .5 offense. Uh, I want to run lineups beyond that of just DeAndre Ayton and no Devin Booker and be able to see, like, put some pressure on Ayton offensively and see, can he handle the load of really running an offense by himself for long stretches of minutes to bring some relief to Devin Booker? And and is he really capable of ascending into that number two star type of position? Um, So basically, I want to see development out of DeAndre Ayton. I just want to see him play. Uh, because we need to figure out exactly what his potential is going forward uh, as our entire future rests on it. Yeah, it's vital. It's absolutely vital that he improves on the defensive end. If he can show what he did at the beginning of the year, obviously that's that's important. Um, and, you know, more than anything else, just not playing one game at a time. <laughs> It'd be nice for him to play a few games in a row because I think it's a little unfair. It's hard to criticize uh, the Clippers game specifically because he was he was okay right he 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 wasn't attacking he settled for the mid-range his defense was all right i posted a lot of clips of it online there were times where he was good defensively there was times where he was okay uh, there was a few bad mistakes but not a lot and uh, you know kind of like he was at the end of last season it's just hard to even evaluate him in any way and that's something that we need James Jones to do right now. Like right now, that's important for the future of this team and Monty Williams as well, because they need to know what to work with him on. And there's no real way to do that in in practice. You got to see him in real games. So I think I agree with that. Play some games is really what we want to see, right? Play some fucking games. Let's go. 2020 resolution, play some games. (laughs) Hey, Mike and Sam, this is Max Hodder. Uh, I hope you're having a a good Chrissy and you have a good new year. Um, For my favorite moment of 2019, um, it's kind of difficult to to come up with something considering it's been a, not been the uh, the greatest year as a Suns fan, but um, my favorite moment would have to be the game against the Warriors um, at the Oracle to end last season. Um, And the specific moment that comes to mind is the Kelly Oubre transition pull up three. Um, it was he was one against four of the Golden State defenders. I think we were up about ten at the time, um, and I was kind of just saying, pull it out, slow it down, and now nah, Kelly just pulled up from three and just drained it. And I remember going berserk because um, it was such a good, fun win against such a good team. Obviously, um, so yeah, that would be my favorite moment of 2019. Have a good one, boys. All right, my next one is another potentially trade-related one. Look for potential guards to come off the bench. This is an ongoing conversation. We don't have to spend too long on this one. 
But the Suns need offense, the and and they need specifically need offense off the bench. Now they need defense in general, but I think a lot of that has to do with focus. Uh, they're not focusing a lot on the defensive end, but offensively, there are times where when Devin Booker is not on the floor, things are not happening. <laughs> it just are not happening, and there will be some guys available. I think in this trade market and some of those guys are jj reddick i talked about it sadaransky i talked a little bit about in the past as well some more names i want to throw out out there what do you think about this one sam derrick rose if derrick rose becomes available <laughs> as a backup punk guard, he's making wow he's, i know he's making almost nothing and he's been okay right he's been better than any point guard that we've had on the uh, better than any backup point guard that we have on this team so far a big part is that he's making nothing and the, and the pistons are awful uh, you know, so he he's averaging 16.7 points per game, 5.9 assists, and his shooting splits are very good. 49% from the field, 32% from three. Not great, but he's more of an he's back to that sort of attacking guy uh, that he was in the past. And I I think he could be gotten for not potentially not much. And I, I have a feeling that he's going to end up on a team like the Lakers or or like the bucks or something yeah you know well, a, a contender but what do you think about i kind of i kind of like that actually but detroit's a funny one uh are they gonna blow it up finally because yeah, it kind of depends if derrick rose is going to be moved i think it would be an indication that they're greater sellers like they're going to be selling off more than just they derrick should rose at the deadline and they I, should I have and a, i think I people have, have been a saying resolution that. related to that later but they they okay. should <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely should because they're not good um, you know, they, yeah, they've, been, they've been really bad, uh, even, you know, Eastern Conference wise, they've been really bad. It's not even just, you know, it's bad. It's it's a bad situation there in Detroit and they got to figure it out. And, and through that, there have been some some good players. And Derrick Rose is, is one of those sort uh, of salary. Could we match for Derrick Rose? He makes seven million dollars. Hmm. I'm struggling to think of a player. on. Do this they want roster. Frank Kaminsky? <laughs> Frank Kaminsky, who makes like five, right? Yeah. I was. <laughs> Could throw in Markeith Morris while we're at it. Oh God, <laughs> no thanks. Or uh, or just good, swap. Though. What about <laughs> just swapping? No, you're gonna hate this idea. Mm-hmm. This is a oh. Well, I don't even know what's going on with Reggie Jackson. Is he injured? Uh, I don't know. Is yeah, he not he playing? Is. He's he's only played two. I, this should show you how much I know about Detroit Pistons <laughs> basketball at the moment. When <laughs> Reggie Jackson apparently has only played two games this season, but I was gonna say you could swap his contract with Tyler Johnson. I guess that's kind of off the table now. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> is Reggie Jackson a uh, a free agent after this year? Uh, I don't think he is. Second. I think he has next year on the books as well. I think I've looked at this God. recently. Reggie uh, Jackson sucks. No, he's he is a free agent uh, <laughs> after this year. So he and Tyler Johnson can both hit free agency and struggle to get their next NBA contract. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I just don't like him. <laughs> so no, Reggie. I don't, I don't well, like Reggie that. has been a very um unlikable character in the nba for a long time i think yeah like he's been on detroit for years i i don't know if any fan base that's ever had him either okc or detroit has ever liked reggie jackson the reggie jackson experience is an interesting one because he's kind of like like i'm trying to think you know for a long time i'm not like a huge nfl fan but but i know for a long time in the nfl there was like the andy dalton line of like this is the player where um if if you have a better quarterback than andy dalton then you have like at least a capable starting quarterback. And if it's worse, then then you really have problems. And I think Reggie Jackson, at least for a time, two or three years ago, was kind of approaching that line where he was like, 
the 20th best point guard in the NBA. If you have a worse starting point guard than Reggie Jackson, you're fucked. If you have a better one, that's where you actually need to be to make the playoffs. He was just kind of destined to be the point guard for a lottery team. Um, but now his play has collapsed um, altogether, yeah. and he's not a fun one. And he's had some injuries, there, but I think a big part with Reggie Jackson is that for what he gives you on the court, the distraction that he is off the court is not really worthwhile. But my resolution, more than anything else, look, we never know what's going to be available. And those are just some options of guys that will potentially become available. So grab, grab one of those guys, James Jones, if you can, especially if it doesn't cost too much. Maybe Derrick Rose wouldn't cost too much. Although we'll see. You know, The Lakers might be willing to give up a first-round pick for him. They, they don't seem to value those anymore. Um, so yeah. Hi everyone, I'm Alessandro, and my favorite Suns moment this year was the Rubio signing. A few hours before the actual the actual news dropped, I was discussing with other people on Twitter, and I laughed at a guy completely dismissing the possibility of Rubio signing with the Suns, both because he was going to make too much, or at least I thought so, and because he was supposed to be an Indiana Pacer. But after we got the news, I like I got owned on Twitter, and so <laughs> it, it was a pretty fun moment, both because we got our we finally got our point guard, and also because <laughs> because I got I got owned on Twitter, and people laughed at me for like a couple of hours. What's your next resolution, Sam? Mike, work on locating. The number three. We talked about Booker. We talked about Aiden. But good things come in threes. You know, <laughs> LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, that's three. Pierce, Garnett, and Ray Allen, that's three. There's only three Good Sons podcasts. I'm not going to mention which they are. <laughs> you have to figure out for yourself listening at home. But work on locating that number three. Is And I'll turn it around on you. Is Kelly Oubre the number three? Could he be the number three? Wait, did you include us in the three good podcasts? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. That's for the listeners to decide. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, here's... I don't know. I think there are times... Kelly Uber is an interesting guy where there are times where you can see it. We talked about the Clippers game. Uh, there are times when you can see it and just you can kind of envision it. You can kind of picture it. And then there are times where he's just... He, he's a negative, like a negative on the court, regardless of his, you know, di- diving into five defenders <laughs> underneath the basket letting guys back cut him over and over and over again, uh, things like that. So, you know, if I think that if he can get that sort of mental side of the game correct, uh, I can see it. He's, de- he's definitely athletic enough, right? He's the most athletic player on the team. Um, you know, and the shooting has not been bad. His shooting has improved. So, but no, I, <laughs> here's the reality of it. If we're talking about a contender, like a playoff contender, no, he's more of a fourth guy. Okay, so then I guess the next question that naturally stems from that is, are you willing to kind of give up on Kelly Oubre and like package him with other pieces if you could go out and get a legit number three? Absolutely, you know? absolutely like, yeah. Is, is that what you need to prioritize? Like if it took, uh, well, this is hard because Dario is a free agent, right? But I was going to say that because then it would have to be some sort of sign and trade. But I was going to say if you could package together Dario and Kelly somehow or Kelly and Mikhail or, you know, these players that obviously Suns fans cherish, but at the end of the day are just role players, and maybe they'll always be role players, we don't really know, to go out and get the guy who's going to be a reserve all-star averaging 20 points per game, and is going to be the number three to, to kind of uh, tuck into that rotation. Is that worth it? I think you do have to prioritize that. Um, and I personally am rooting for Kelly Oubre. I hope he's the guy. 
I'd like to see a little bit more improvement out of him. Um, and I think he's so close to attaining that level where he is a 20-point-per-game, 6-rebound-a-game uh, guy who's like om- not reserve all-star levels in the Western Conference because the Western Conference is so tough, but in the Eastern Conference maybe would be a reserve all-star and is maybe a legit number three option. Um, the the three-point shooting for him really needs to come along. He's still only shooting 32% uh, from deep this season. I know it's like not what he's expected to do, um, but it, it just really hurts to see some of these games where the Suns, as a collective unit, can't hit wide-open shots, and Kelly is definitely contributing to that. Would you trade Kelly Oubre for for drew holiday if that's what it took yes and and look i'm not because there's raw stats both of these guys average 20 points per game um but defensively it is not a question of who's a more impactful player um you know drew holiday is such an impactful player one of the most impactful defenders in the nba um and that's really something the suns are lacking right now so of course it depends what you would have to give up um, but if you could package a player like Drew Holiday um, and put him with Devin Booker, and now I'm even thinking, like, if you could run Drew Holiday at the one and Devin Booker at the two and Mikhail Bridges at the three, Ooh. that's that like just that's an amazing combination. And that's still right. have DeAndre Ayton somehow. I don't know if you'd be able to do that, um, but that would be really, really good. Yeah. It, it would I be. love Kelly Oubre. And, you know, Kelly Oubre changed the culture in Phoenix. That is a fact. The Valley Boys thing changed the culture in Phoenix. Um, and it put this team on the map in a way that they haven't been on the map in half a decade. And that matters. Um, and the fans are very loyal to Kelly as they should be. So, you know, don't interpret this if you're listening as I'm trying to trade Kelly Oubre. Uh, but from a long-term team-building sustainable kind of standpoint, the Suns do need uh, a number three um, behind Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. So just ask yourself, do you think Kelly Oubre can be that guy? We're not we're not trying to trade anyone on this podcast. I know some some people like think you know if you criticize <laughs> you can't even DeAndre mention Aiden it once. right you can't even mention yeah. it sometimes. But he, here's we entertain all options. We do this every week, guys. We have to talk about something, and, uh, <laughs> and that means we entertain all options here. Uh, I think that it's an interesting thing. I think for for the specific Kelly Oubre conversation, there's no reason to to shop him at this trade deadline unless you get somebody really really great. And there's not probably not going to be a lot of really, really great players available uh, in this uh, trade season here coming up in the next month or two. So, you know, and the trade deadline's earlier this year. Do you happen to know that off the top of your head, uh, Sam? I, I don't. Sorry. I can look, look it up. I, I, know, I know it used to be around Valentine's Day, uh, but I think it's before that this year. So there's not a lot of time. You know, that means some, some moves are going to go down uh, relatively relatively soon. So it looks like February, February 6th. 6th. There yep. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Google finding it for us. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting, interesting uh, time. And I don't think Kelly Oubre is going to be available. But I think in the offseason, when you're just looking at all avenues to improve, I don't think that he's one of those guys that is just off the table entirely. Uh, you just have to sort of look well, at what's available. Here's the other thing to quickly entertain the idea of. Are we overlooking someone on the roster that could be the number three? Could Cam Johnson be that guy yeah, one day? it's interesting. Could Dario have a surprise, you know, fifth-year blow-up? Mm. It seems very... <laughs> I, I like I kind of just laughed that one off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems very unlikely, right? But I figured we, I would throw it out there. You know, if Cam Johnson actually became a 20-point-per-game sniper... Uh, that's probably still not enough because of what he does on defense, right? Like he's Cam, a role player. He, I he's mean, a role player. He's a very high level as much role as, player. As much as we want him to be Clay, 
uh, his defense is not clay. His defense is better. And his ball handling was advertised. You know, and you know, his athleticism in general. Like yeah. Clay like I said, these guys like Clay Thompson and JJ Reddick, there's so much of what they do that's undervalued and uh and and you know, Cam Johnson can can do a lot of those things. That that's a huge thing. Uh, but I think he's more of a high level role player. He's definitely the type of player that exists on a contender. Uh but those guys are usually not uh, the third best player. They're usually the fourth or fifth. They're, they, they're even a lot of times right. coming off the bench, you know, yeah. uh, more of a Kyle Korver uh, as an example, or a James mm-hmm. Jones <laughs> as mm-hmm. an example. Uh, <laughs> yep. So, yeah. This is Cody Hunt. I'm the guy with the video of my really ugly but accurate jump shot on Twitter. My favorite Suns moment of the year was that two-game stretch in March where the Suns beat the Lakers and then the Bucks back-to-back. Not only was it great to beat two solid teams, but especially I was so happy that DeAndre Ayton had huge defensive moments down the stretches of those games against LeBron, against the Lakers, and then Giannis against the Bucks. That was part of a stretch where the Suns won four out of six games, and it was really where I started to believe that a team built around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton could be a winner. That was my favorite Suns moment of the year. All right, my next one. It's my turn, right? Yeah. Okay. So So we've been talking a lot about trades. The trade season is upon us. My last resolution that I'm going to go over here, stay away from Blake Griffin. (laughs) We briefly touched on how bad this the, one hurts. Man. How bad the Detroit Pistons are. We haven't, Sam. You, you and I haven't talked about Blake Griffin in a while. We, we talked about him at the beginning of the year a little bit as as a guy that you could potentially target because, I mean, if you just looked at the East, you could kind of predict that the Detroit wasn't going to be good. But what you could <laughs> not predict was that he's currently averaging a career low, including his rookie year, in points, rebounds, and field goal percentage. He's only averaging 15 points a game. He can barely stay on the court. He's missed games. He's only played 18 of their 33 games, and he's making 34 million this year, 36 million the next year, and 38 million the year after that. Blake Griffin is not the player that he once was. Now, you could say, well, he's a guy that relied a lot on his athleticism. That athleticism's going away. That happened last year, and he was good last year. There's a chance that he can bounce back from this. Mm-hmm. But what he's shown so far is that he's not worth giving up assets for, and he's not worth what he's about what he's going to be paid and is, what he's currently being but, paid. But in a way, isn't that the best part? Well, it makes him available for less. You know, right? I mean, if it means that you can package together, what the fuck is he making? Thirty-five million. Thirty-four, is that what you said? almost he's thirty-five. Made, so what you would have to do? I don't even know. You'd have to trade. That's literally the, the salary of Tyler Johnson and Kelly Oubre combined. Yeah, so you would have to trade Tyler Johnson and Kelly Oubre, or, or Tyler Johnson and Ricky Rubio, which doesn't make any sense. That's the only way to facilitate the trade. Right. And at that point, you wouldn't throw in anything else. It would just kind of be like salary relief for Detroit. Yeah. But if Blake I don't believe that Blake Griffin is going back to his 25-point-per-game, eight-rebound, all-star starter self. I don't believe he's this bad either. And so if you could get him into a happy medium of a 20-point-per-game guy, theoretically yes he makes a lot of money yes he has an injury history yes he just turned 30 years old isn't that kind of the number three we were just talking about 
Um, yes, in theory, in reality, he is he's a below average player currently. Oh, he <laughs> absolutely is right now. But but I guess like just and it's not because I necessarily disagree with you, but I just want to hear us talk through it. Uh, about a month ago, when we talked about Lowry Markkinen, and you talked about Chicago's system, and kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, you know, of like Phoenix could bring him in and right. could coax him into being a better player and kind of right. nourish him. Um, why the are you not doing potential. this? He's why young. are you not doing the same thing with Blake? Just because he's young? It's a huge part of it. It's a huge part of it. With the way the things that Blake Griffin were were the best at were all sort of related to his athleticism. They they really were. And as that goes away, uh, a lot of his game is, is suffers. Now he got up to like a thirty six percent three point shooter last season on 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 quite a few attempts. He took five hundred and twenty two three point attempts last season. So he he shot like it's not like he was a he was just kind of hitting them in in spot up situations. He no, also he played seventy five games. He played seventy five games, and he was that was one of the best game one of the best seasons of his career last season. Uh, so you know it, it this season though if you look at the differences 35% from the field 24% from the three point line that's really bad that's really an effective field goal percentage of 40% uh that's very low for a, a guy like Blake Griffin who should be doing a lot more could Blake yeah. Griffin be better on the Suns yeah i think so i think there's a lot of like there's a lot of guys that will give him extra space i think that he can find his way in being maybe the second or potentially third best player on the team rather than having sort of the weight of the world on his shoulders in Detroit. But the money, the money, if he continues on this downward trajectory and and he's making $38 million a year uh, in his last year of his career and Devin Booker's 25 years old, um, I'm just not sure I want to see that. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of feel like a parallel to Amari, right? Yeah. Amari, it his first fast. season... Uh, exactly. And I was going to say, you were talking about Blake's last season. It reminded me, because I was in New York. I'm from New York. Amari's first season in New York was spectacular. Um, and he went on this franchise record streak of games of scoring 30 or more points. At one point, he passed Patrick Ewing. Um, and he was the talk of the town the first half of that season. He was being hailed uh, as an MVP candidate. Um, and then, you know, you could blame it on various factors. It was a combination of losing athleticism. It was a combination of the Knicks bringing in Carmelo Anthony that kind of lessened his role in the team. Um, but th- the decline came fast for Amari. The next year he was okay. Um, and two or three years after that, when he was still making like $25 million, which at the time under that CBA was a lot of money, um, he was disastrously bad. Yep. So maybe the same thing is happening to Blake right now. Or maybe... This is a little bit regression too far in the other direction. He's going to bounce back to somewhere in the middle. Um, and if the Suns don't trade for him, they're missing out. I'm just saying that's a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still I'm sticking with my resolution. Stay away. It's not worth the risk <laughs> at this point. At this point, Kelly Oubre is a better player than Blake Griffin. And that's a weird thing to say, but it's true. It just It's true right now. So that's, that's, that's tough to hear. Uh, but my resolution, stay away from Blake Griffin. What's your uh, last resolution, Sam? My last resolution for the Phoenix Suns, and this is an overall organizational goal. Everyone needs to buy into this in order for it to work. And that is no shenanigans. Not a single shenanigan. We have the new leadership now with the Phoenix Suns, with a GM that supposedly players can trust because it comes from that perspective of James Jones having been a player himself. They have a new coach. 
locked into the longest deal in team history with Robert Sarver finally doling out that five-year contract. Um, They have a state-of-the-art practice facility that should be ready for 2021 to use as a persuasion tool for incoming free agents. And supposedly for now, um, they even have good on-court chemistry with each other. You know, we haven't heard any players complaining about each other complaining about coaches, things like that. That's all very good for now. I just want the entire team to keep it up. I don't want to see any hit pieces about goat shit. I don't want to see players <laughs> complaining about each other. I don't want to see them bad-mouthing Monty Williams. Um, and the reason this is important is because, like, the Suns aren't that good yet, you know? They're maybe on pace for being a 30-win team this year. We have to accept that that's a possibility. I'm hoping DeAndre Ayton comes back. They get their shit together. They finish closer to 500. But there is a possibility, based on the way that they've played in the past month, that they're still a pretty bad team. So win or lose, this organization has to come together. They have to right the ship because they have a reputation to maintain. Um, And it is paramount to maintain the image that the Phoenix Suns are a change organization. Because, again, the overall theme... The overarching theme uh, of all of my resolutions is that it's not just about 2020 for 2020's sake. It's about building something for the future. So if you focus on linear improvement, getting that improvement, generating momentum, and then continuing to build off it, um, that you can point to and say, we are a respectable organization now um, that doesn't have any chaos, then maybe you can go out and start to recruit uh, you know, free agents with your fancy new practice facility in 2021. Maybe you can recruit better assistant coaches, better training staff, you know, pluck various respected people from around the NBA for this position or that position um, and really start to build the type of organization that James Jones has been talking about building, but that we haven't seen yet. But kind of for right now, no sha- uh, no shenanigans. And I say that because you kind of got to fake it until you make it. The Suns haven't made it yet, uh, but they need to act like they've made it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree to that. Here's to a shenanigan-free 2020. Raise your glass, everyone listening to this podcast. And there you go. And have a happy new year, everyone that listened. I I fully buy into that. That's an excellent way to end this episode, Sam. Thank you very much. Happy new year to everyone listening to this podcast. Thank you to everyone who contributed to this podcast as well. Big, big shout out to everyone. I'll, I'll, I'll shout you guys out on Twitter as well happy new year to all the suns fans and we'll be back next week i think that i want to talk about just some some options that we didn't talk about maybe kelly Oubre a little bit more maybe a little bit more devin booker talk because we somehow didn't have a single devin booker related uh uh, resolution so we'll get we'll get to that next week we'll be back with all the normal stuff next week in 2020 segment all that stuff in 2020 (laughs) don't make a joke about it but happy new year's guys I have a real question by a real Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.